Good morning. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Genesis. I spend most of my time over at the Noblesville campus, uh, but Jerry is down in southern Indiana, and I'm glad he is able to be with his mom and his family, and I'm excited to be with you here this morning as we continue our series, Jesus Is. If you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 11, John chapter 11, uh, if you want to grab a blue Bible, it's page 748, page 748. Before we dive into our story and our text today, uh, I'd like to pause and just pray. Will you, will you please pray with me? Let's pray. Father, you are awesome. You are the creator of heaven and earth. Uh, you're the savior of the world. You are a good father, and you long to love us and to take good care of us, your children. And uh, so, Lord, I just say on behalf of our church family, we're here seeking your face this morning. We want to hear your voice. And so, Lord, would you just please speak to us through your word this morning? Will you please open the eyes of our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit so we can see you and so we can know you better, Lord? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our story today begins about a month or two before Jesus is arrested and crucified. A dear friend of his becomes deathly ill. His friend's name is Lazarus. Now, Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha is the older sister, Mary is the younger, and Lazarus is the younger brother. So Lazarus is seriously ill. It doesn't look good. And so Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. They want to get Jesus and have him come. Now, Jesus and his disciples were likely over here. Let's look at this map on the other side of the Jordan River. Uh, where's that at? Jordan River? There we go. There it is. So there, uh, the Jesus and disciples up here, probably in this orange area. And Lazarus and Mary and Martha live in Bethany, which is right next to Jerusalem. Bethany is about two miles outside of Jerusalem, so it's literally right up the road. And uh, here's the point. The point is that Jesus wasn't just next door, right? And so it would have probably taken about one to two days uh, on foot for Jesus to get there. And so word gets to Jesus. So they send word to Jesus, and here's how Jesus responds to the news of his friend's sickness. John chapter 11, verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. If you like to underline in your Bible, you may want to underline uh, the phrase, For God's glory. Because according to Jesus, what we're about to see happen in the story happens for God's glory. When Jesus hears the sad news, his, his first response is twofold. First, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death, even though, as we see in just a moment, he knows his, his, his sickness will end in death. And then the second thing he says is, uh, this sickness is going to be for God's glory. What does it mean? What does it mean to bring God glory or to glorify God? Well, the word used for glory here is the word doxa. Doxa means to have such a good opinion of someone that it results in praise, honor, and glory for that person. It also means to exalt or to magnify excellence and splendor. And so if you have a good opinion of someone, then you speak well of them. You exalt or magnify that which is excellent about them. For example, if I were to ask you, who is a person in your life that you really respect? And, and tell me, why do you think so highly of them? Why do you have such a, a good opinion or high view of them? 
Well, you would probably go on and tell me the reasons why you think this person's awesome, right? You would be exalting or magnifying the excellent qualities in this person's life. And by doing that, you would be bringing them glory or glorifying them. And so to bring God glory or to glorify God means that we exalt or magnify or show how awesome God is, how excellent and wonderful God is. When Jesus says his friend's illness will not end in death, it's to glorify God. He's saying this illness, this illness is going to show, going to magnify, going to exalt the excellence of God. So what's his plan? How's this going to happen? How's God going to take the Lazarus's illness and bring glory to himself? Well, we see Jesus, uh, we see his response in verse 5. John makes a fascinating statement about Jesus's response. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and, and her sister uh, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Let's make sure we get this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and, La and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wait, what? Jesus loved Mary and Martha, so he decided to stay two more days. And the word for so there can also be translated therefore or since or because. Since he loves Mary and Martha because the very reason he, he loves Mary and Martha and because he loves Mary and Martha, he actually decides to stay two more days. Now, I don't know about you, but this doesn't make sense, right? I, I don't, if it were me and I heard that a close friend of mine was deathly ill, I would stop what I was doing and immediately go to see them, wouldn't you? I mean, that sounds like the loving thing to do here. And if we're honest, sometimes God's love is confusing, isn't it? I mean, sometimes what seems like the loving thing to do, God doesn't do. And sometimes what seems like the unloving thing for God to do, He does. And like Mary and Martha, if you find yourself in a painful season of life right now, if you are suffering and you've sent word to Jesus, I think you can learn something from them. Or maybe you've been praying and you've been asking God for some help. You want him to come and intervene in your life. You want him to stop the pain in your life right now. But he doesn't seem to be responding the way you hoped he would. His timing seems a bit off. Maybe for you it's an illness and the diagnosis isn't good. You're sending word to Jesus, but he's not quite responding like you'd hope. Maybe for you, it's a relationship, or maybe for you, it's a, a lack of a relationship, and it's causing pain and suffering right now. You're sending word to Jesus, but he's not quite responding like you want him to. Maybe it's, maybe it's the question, God, what do you want me to do? What direction do you want me to go with my life? And you're not sure which direction to take, and it's causing some pain and some suffering, and so you're sending word up to Jesus. You're praying, but he's not quite responding the way you're the way you're hoping and asking him to. Let me just say this. If you feel a bit confused by God's love and the way he's responding to you right now, it's okay. You're not alone. We'll see in just a minute, Mary and Martha feel the same way. Well, after two days, Jesus tells his disciples he's ready to go back to Bethany, back towards Jerusalem. You can read the details in John chapter 11, but I'm going to just summarize by saying this. They're a bit puzzled and surprised by Jesus' decision to go back to Jerusalem. They remind Jesus, hey, just a short while ago, the Jewish leaders up there tried to stone you and kill you, and you want to go back to Jerusalem? You want to go back to Bethany, which is just up the road from Jerusalem? Are, are, you, are you crazy? Jesus tells them there's still work to be done. 
And then he goes on to explain to his disciples what's happening. He says, Lazarus is asleep and I must go wake him up. Well, his disciples, they think that Jesus means he's literally sleeping. And so they're like, well, if he's sleeping, just let him sleep. You'll be fine. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. He's going he's gonna to try to help his confused disciples. I don't know about you. I always find it comforting that the disciples are often confused by Jesus. <laughs> then Jesus clarifies, he clarifies it for them in verse 14. Here's what he says. So then he told them plainly. He's got, let, me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you this like a, a child, guys. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Now, here's another key detail in this story. Jesus says, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Now, we see Jesus is going to use this situation, not just for Mary and Martha's benefit, but for the disciples too. He tells them, what I'm about to do is going to strengthen your faith and your belief in me. And so they leave and they head to Bethany. And when Jesus and his disciples arrive, they find that Lazarus has in fact died. He's been dead and buried in the tomb for four days. People had already come to mourn his death and to comfort Mary and Martha for the loss of their brother. Some of you have experienced the tragic and premature death of a loved one. It's painful. It's confusing. It's heartbreaking. It's a situation that is filled with great grief and suffering. I think we all know that death is a sobering and sad reality of this broken and fallen world. And this is the situation that Jesus steps into when he arrives on the scene. Lazarus has died. He's been buried. They've had the funeral. And now there's a small group of people who in the immediate days that are following his, his death and, and burial are mourning with Mary and Martha. It's an emotional, intense, intense situation. And Jesus arrives on the scene. And when Martha hears that Jesus has arrived, she goes out to meet him. And when she meets him, here's what she says in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, we can't be certain about the tone of Martha's voice. We don't know how she said this or what her body language was. We don't know if she was sarcastic, if she was frustrated, if she was kind of taking a shot like, hey, if this was your fault, you should have been here. We don't know that for sure. We don't know if she's saying, you know what, I know that if you had been here, I know that you could have saved him. We, we don't know the tone of voice. What we do know is this, that her statement reveals a lot about her view of Jesus. She had great faith in Jesus. She had been a part of his ministry. She'd listened to his teaching. She knows of his power and miracles. She has great faith that Jesus had the power to heal her brother Lazarus had he been there. She knows or she believes that, that Jesus could have kept him from dying. That's clearly why she sent word to Jesus, right? She was under the assumption that because Jesus loved her brother, Lazarus, he would come and save him from death. But while, while she had great faith in Jesus, Martha's statement also reveals kind of a false belief or a false assumption that she had about him. And that's this, that just because Jesus could heal doesn't mean he will. Just because Jesus could heal Lazarus doesn't mean he would heal. Sometimes we wrongly assume that God's love for us means he'll protect us from pain and suffering. Like Martha, we sometimes struggle with this, this faulty view of God. So let's just take a second and let's take her statement, for example, and make it our own. Jesus, if you had been here, what? What would that be for you? 
What's that look like in your life? If Jesus had shown up for you, what painful experience would he have saved you from? If Jesus had been there for you, what tragic incident would not have happened? What pain and suffering would he have protected you from? If God really loved you, how would he have been there for you? It doesn't seem like he was there. I'm sure most of us at some point in our life can relate to Martha. We, 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 we've thought what Martha has thought. If Jesus, if you had been here, this, this wouldn't have happened. Well, Martha goes on to say in verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But now, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She's saying, I don't understand why you didn't come in saving but I know that even right now, you could ask your heavenly father and you have the power and the authority and that you could do a miracle. And Jesus responds to Martha in verse 23. Here's what's interesting. The conversation gets really interesting. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. That's his, his response. So she says, I know that you could pray and ask your father right now. And his response is, well, your brother will rise again. And Martha She's kind of a bit confused. And she responds and she says, well, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, Martha is referring to the final resurrection event. She's heard Jesus teach on this. She, there, it's, it, she, she knows that there's a resurrection event coming. The Bible teaches us that all believers will be gathered to spend eternity together at one final great resurrection event. And so she has faith in Jesus and she has faith in God's kind of big picture plans for an ultimate resurrection event in the last day. But she's a little bit confused in the current circumstances she's in. Now, listen to how Jesus responds to Martha. The next verse, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then look at this question. He says to Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? See, Martha references the resurrection event, but Jesus says the resurrection isn't an event, Martha. It's a person. I am. I am the resurrection. I am the life. In his gospel account, the apostle John records seven I am statements. This is the fifth of those seven statements. And each time Jesus is saying, I am God. And, she said, and he declares, I am God. And when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying, I am the one who conquers death and the one who gives eternal life. It's kind of two sides of the same coin. And so Jesus comes to us this morning and he says this, if you believe in me, you have no reason to fear death. Because for the Christ follower, for the person who believes in Jesus and who lives their life here on this earth in relationship with Jesus, you never really die. Because when you die, you just continue your relationship with Jesus in eternity, for all eternity. Isn't that great news? I don't know about you, but I, that's why we come. That's why we celebrate. That's why we sing worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. Because for the Christ follower, we have no reason to fear death because we've been given life, eternal life in Christ Jesus. And have you ever thought about this? Have you ever considered this? Have you ever thought about the fact that when you spend eternity with Jesus, you're going to be able to refer back to conversations you had with him while you were here on earth? Have you ever thought about that? I think about that often. It's a motivator for me to develop a closer relationship with him now. Because when I get there in eternity with him, I want to have lots to talk about and lots to refer back to. And what a great motivation for us to draw close to God, to seek Him with all our heart, to have this abiding, close relationship. Make Jesus the number one 
person you pursue a relationship with in your life. Because when you spend eternity with him, you want to have lots of conversations and relationships to refer back to. Okay, so the question is, do, do you believe this? He asked Martha. Maybe there's some of you this morning and Jesus comes to you and he extends the exact same question to you. Could Jesus be asking you this morning, do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and life? And does your belief in Jesus erase your fear of death? Because you know that whoever lives and believes in Jesus will never die. The Apostle John says back in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the good news, that God loved us and he gave his son, his son Jesus and that if we believe in him, we put our faith and trust in him and what he did for us in his life, his death, his, death, his resurrection, we shall not perish but have eternal life. John, John chapter 10, verse 27, the apostle John writes again, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Maybe this morning, for the first time, you're ready to believe and trust in Jesus. Maybe you're ready for the first time to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is your, your, resurre your resurrection and life. I think Romans 10, 9 and 10 is really helpful for guiding someone who's ready to believe in Jesus for the first time. The Apostle Paul says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Maybe for a few of you this morning, you're ready. You're ready to believe for the first time and confess and declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord of your life. If that describes you, I want to encourage you to express your belief and faith in baptism on Easter Sunday. What a better day to declare to God and to declare to this church family, to your family, to your friends, that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. Well, let's, let's see how Martha responds. So Jesus asked Martha, Martha, do you believe? Do you believe? Martha responds this way. John chapter 11, verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God who is to, who is to come into the world. Now, you have to imagine at this point, Martha is a bit confused. Because she believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. She believes in God's big picture plan, that God is going to make all things right at the end, at the final resurrection event. But she can't understand why Jesus would not have come to save Lazarus from dying. And her sister Mary feels the same way. Because after this exchange with Jesus, Martha leaves and she, go get, she goes to get her younger sister Mary. And she tells her sister Mary, Jesus is here. And Jesus has come. And now Mary hears this and she goes to meet with Jesus. And when Mary meets Jesus, John tells us in verse 32 that she fell at his feet and said, verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You'd think Mary and Martha were sisters. Mary says to Jesus the exact same thing Martha said to him. The two sisters must have discussed about it. It's been four days. They must have talked about together. They likely wondered with confusion, why didn't Jesus come save our brother? And they, came to the, they apparently came to the same conclusion. If Jesus was here, our brother would not have died. And so here is Mary weeping at the feet of Jesus. A little side note. Every time we see Mary, we see Mary three times in the Gospels, and both, all three times, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
You remember the first time we see her? Jesus comes to their house in Bethany and Martha is busy doing work and Jesus is teaching and Mary is sitting at his feet listening to what he's saying and Martha gets upset about this and she says, hey Jesus, tell her to help me and he kind of rebukes Martha and says, no, 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 she's doing what's, she's doing the one thing that's needed. She's sitting at my feet and then we see her here at the feet of Jesus weeping and then we'll see her again actually a couple weeks after this in John chapter 12 in the next chapter of John we see her again and that's when she comes in in the last week of Jesus' life, and she pours perfume on his feet, and she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. It was in a way of anointing Jesus as king. She was worshiping Jesus. And so we see this image of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's this posture of worship. And by the way, that's that's a great example for all of us to learn from, that we would be a family, we would be a church family, we'd be a people who sit at the feet of Jesus and worship him. And so there's Mary weeping. But she's not the only one. There's some other people that are weeping and mourning with her. The text will tell you in John chapter 11, you can see this, that when Mary leaves the house to go meet with Jesus, some other people who were there mourning left to follow her. And they thought that she was going to the tomb, to Lazarus's tomb, but instead she goes to meet with Jesus. And she, so, so they, they come too. And so here's this scene you have, okay? You have Mary at the feet of Jesus weeping. You have some of other mourners there weeping. And then the Apostle John describes Jesus' response to this scene. In verse 33, John eleven thirty-three. 33. When Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews had come along with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. I want you to notice, before we take this for a time, I want you to notice that John specifically says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and those with her weeping, he was deeply moved. Something about seeing Mary weeping triggered an intense emotional response from Jesus. Some translations say he was agitated and angry. The two words John used to describe Jesus' emotions are strong. First is The first word, uh, the deeply moved word, is generally used for anger or even outrage. It literally means to snort like a horse. I, I, I don't know that I've been around a horse who got so, who got so angry and snorted like a horse, but I, I, I trust that that's what that means. And so it's interesting to think about Jesus snorting like a horse. Um, the second word means to be stirred up or agitated. And it's described, it's used to describe a storm-tossed sea. Here's the point. Jesus isn't just sad. He is deeply in uh, deeply troubled. He's in turmoil. He, he's outraged. He's angry. There's a ton of emotion going on in Jesus right now. And then he asked this. He says, hey, wh- where have you laid the body? He wants to go to Lazarus's tomb. And so they began to take Jesus to the tomb. But at some point on the way, John tells us in verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now, some of you know this verse because from time to time you'll be in a circle and somebody will ask you, hey, do you have any Bible verses memorized? And you go, yeah, I know one. Jesus wept. Has anybody ever used that joke before? Yeah, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't use that joke. That, that's not a good, that's not even funny. Okay, so here's the point though. That, that in order to fully grasp that Jesus was weeping, in order to fully grasp this, this scene, we have to understand that in this culture, mourning was not the quiet kind of reserved expressions of grief that we typically see at American funerals, right? Which is what we're, most of us are accustomed to. Jesus wept doesn't mean that he had a sad face with some watery eyes, right? Which, by the way, 
I just want to show you the best sad face I've ever seen. And it just so happens to be my daughter, Hallie. This is my youngest daughter. Look at that. Is that not the sweetest sad face you've ever seen? So if you don't know, uh, my wife and Paige and I, we have four children. And this is our youngest daughter. And uh, she makes the, whenever, she often makes this when she gets sad. And so the other day, it was about a week ago, I thought, this is it. I got to capture this. We're going to want to remember this. And not, not only does she make that sad face, sometimes when she's sad, she adds this element to it. Oh, she closes her eyes. Isn't that so sweet? Oh, my goodness. I know I'm biased. But I think that's the best sad face I've ever seen. Now, here's the point. Oh, wait, side note. Uh, just a little personal note. I haven't been here to t- teaching in a while, and so s- some of you may not know this. I, I don't know if you care, but I just thought I'd let you know. My wife is pregnant with baby number five, and so we're due. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, so we're excited about that. Uh, so baby number five, she, uh, he, it's a little boy, and so uh, we'll have three girls and two boys, and, and he's due in just a, just a few weeks. So, um, uh, so there you go. We make disciples the old-fashioned way. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> Jesus, I'm sorry. My wife's in the room. I'm sorry, honey. Okay. All right. And so are my kids. All right. I got some explaining to do. Okay. So Jesus doesn't just have, here's the point. Where am I at? Where, what, time, what time is it? Okay. So Jesus doesn't just have a sad face. Here's the point. He, he doesn't just have like this sad face when it says Jesus wept, like with watery eyes, with maybe a tear running down his face. That's, that's not what we would see. What we would see in this culture is men and women who would cry out with shouts of grief, with loud cries and tears. In fact, the word wept is probably better translated, burst into tears. Jesus bursted into tears. Now, there are a few different views on what caused Jesus to respond with so much emotion. What, what was it specifically? Some scholars believe that Jesus was, was simply overcome with emotion due to the tragedy and, and, and the deep grief of the moment. His dear friend, Lazarus had passed away. There's his friends Mary and Martha. Uh, They're in pain and they're suffering and there's weeping. And this is why Jesus wept, some scholars would say. Others would say say that Jesus, uh, point out that Jesus may may have been weeping at the lack of faith of a few who were there. Uh, They point to the fact that a couple different times we see Jesus weeping in the the scriptures and and he's grieving and it's often over unbelief. They would point to verse 36 and 37. I want to just show you in this story, there are two different responses to Jesus' weeping. Here's the first response. Verse 36 and 37. We're looking at the message version here this time. The Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. Okay, so there's a small group there who said Jesus is weeping they, just, they, they explained Jesus' weeping as, as uh, what caused it was he deeply loved Lazarus, right? But there's a second group of people. Look at this. Others among them said, well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened the eyes of a blind man. And so uh, we, just, it was just a few weeks before this, he opened the eyes of a blind man and word had gotten out. And so here we see two different responses. The first response, interpret Jesus' weeping as a sign of his love. The second response, the second group, seemed to question his love for Lazarus and, and, and for others. They take Jesus' inaction, his lack of saving Lazarus, as a sign of a lack of love. But that doesn't make any sense, right? Because remember, Jesus' love for Mary and Martha was the very reason why he waited. And so to doubt his love was a mistake. That was a mistake. They shouldn't... That wasn't true. Maybe today you're struggling and you're doubting God's love for you. Sometimes we can make the same mistake. We, we, we can take 
God's inaction as a sign of his lack of love. Don't, don't do that. Don't make that mistake. Now, Jesus was likely weeping for several reasons. There was probably all of these things. It was the grief. It was seeing the pain and suffering of his friends. It was the death of Lazarus. It was those who questioned his love. It was Mary at his feet. It was the experiencing the reality of this fallen and broken world. It was probably anger over death itself. Remember, he, he knows that, 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 that we, this is never God's original plan. And, and, and so regardless of the specific reason why he was weeping and, and so full of emotion, I want us just to pause just for a minute this morning and take a picture of the real Jesus. Now, this is unbelievable. Jesus, fully God and fully man. And here in this moment, we see a beautiful picture of fully human Jesus who, as Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us, he shared in our humanity. And in this moment, Jesus does not allow his divine nature to protect or shield him from his human nature. Instead, being fully human, Jesus enters fully into the pain and suffering of this moment. Think about that. We have a God and a Savior who knows and feels and is able to enter into and understand our deepest pain and suffering. I don't know about you, but I find that comforting and encouraging, and it makes me love Jesus all the more. Well, they finally arrive at the tomb, and Jesus tells them to take the stone away. All right, so here's the, here's the big moment. He's going to tell them to take the stone away, and Martha is immediately going to protest. Let's follow along as I read here, verse 38. Um... John eleven thirty eight. 38. Jesus, once more, deeply moved. Once more, he's snorting like a horse. Uh, came to the, it's okay to laugh at that. Uh, he came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. I like how John refers to Lazarus as the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. He's been there four days. Four days. Uh, uh, there's a common cultural belief that, a sp- that the spirit of a person hovered over their dead body for three years, for three days. But by the fourth day, the spirit would leave. And so then, by day four, they were really dead. Now, this is not biblical, okay? This is a cultural belief. Now, why does John include that in his text? Well, one of the reasons why, he's making the point as a way of answering any objections by, who, by those who would maybe say, well, Lazarus wasn't really dead. By noting the four days, John is saying, Lazarus is definitely dead. Okay, verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's pretty cool. After being dead and buried, Jesus raises Lazarus back to life and Lazarus walks out of the tomb. And I want you to take note of the last words that John records of Jesus. Jesus says, Take off the grave clothes. Maybe, maybe some of you here this morning, maybe you need to hear. You need to hear Jesus say to you, take off the grave clothes. You're not dead anymore. In Christ, you're alive. Take off the old and put on the new. You don't need those old grave clothes anymore. 
John, the writer of this gospel, goes on to tell us in the verses that follow that many of the Jews who were there visiting and mourning with Mary and Martha and saw what Jesus did put their faith in Jesus. But those who were doubting, that small group of people, they had left and they went into Jerusalem and they told the Pharisees about what Jesus had done. And the Pharisees call a meeting in response. And it was at that meeting that the Pharisees said, enough is enough, we're going to crucify this man. Just see the irony of that. He raises Lazarus from the dead so that he can show that I am the resurrection life, that death has nothing over me. I've conquered death. I offer eternal life. And he, he does it so that he can show God's glory and show Martha Mary and Lazarus and all those who were there, how much they could believe in him to increase their faith and trust that he was the son of God. And yet some of them doubted and believed and went and it triggered, it triggered the meeting that would result about a month or so later in Jesus's arrest and crucifixion. I want to make sure we see this. I want to make sure you see that this story has nothing to do with Lazarus. It's interesting that the Apostle John ended the story right after he comes out of the grave. We don't even get an interview from Lazarus. No, hey, tell us what that was like. Like nothing, no comments from Lazarus. Can you believe that? Not a single word from Lazarus. Why? Because the story isn't about Lazarus. The story's all about Jesus. And that's what the Apostle John was trying to say. This story was a foreshadowing of Jesus's own death burial and resurrection. And the life that Jesus brought Lazarus was a foreshadowing of the eternal life that Jesus offers every one of us. And there were two kinds of responses to the story. Those who believed and whose faith in Jesus was strengthened and those who walked away still doubting. What's your response today? Which camp do you fall in? As a church family, Let's be reminded this morning that our story, your story and my story is not about us. Our story is all about Jesus. And Jesus wants to use, just like he wants to use, the, he used the pain and suffering of Mary and Martha to show how much he loved them. He wants to do the same thing in your life and mine. Jesus wants to reveal his glory to us just as he did to them. That the truth is, that we can believe and we can trust and we can live that Jesus really is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful. I am so thankful for this story. And I am so thankful for the promise that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Father, my guess is there's a number of different responses here this morning. Maybe there's a few people who, for the first time, are ready to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth. They're ready to respond to you. They've heard you ask them, do you believe? And they're ready to say yes for the first time. Father, we just give you thanks and praise for that. We give you all the credit and the glory. God, would you give them the grace to just confess with their mouth and to take the next step and be baptized, express that faith in baptism. Father, I, I trust that there are some in this room, many of us in the room, who we, we do believe, we do believe today's been a reminder and we're just recommitting ourselves to the belief we believe that you are the resurrection and the life Jesus that you love us that you are for us that you are with us some of us need to take off the grave clothes Lord whatever it is that you want to accomplish in our life here this morning we 
we just pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done. Would you bear much fruit in us and through us? And would you glorify your name, Jesus, just like you did in the story? Would you glorify your name, Jesus, here this morning in our church family? It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.